The word work appears many times in the letters to Thessalonica. There's a nose to the grindstone energy, a working class quality to this community. They care about work, do your job, your duty, your duty to the community, do good quality work, make a good reputation for yourself, earn your own living. You sit out like a sore thumb around Thessalonica if you don't work. Anyone unwilling to work should not eat, Paul tells them, sounding sort of like Clint Eastwood in the movie Second Thessalonians. <laughs> Paul even boasts of his own work habits on behalf of the churches, saying he does his work so that his presence may not be a burden on anyone. He works regular hours, he says, and overtime. With toil and labor, we worked night and day, Paul says. But if we read this merely as a call to manual labor, we've missed it. You don't have to be a Christian to honor the virtues of self-employment and earning your keep. Even more if the message of this passage of the sermon is merely get a job. Why is it in the Bible? The Bible is not an anthology of good advice. Proverbs kind of skirts that. But even the meaning of the word as plain and obvious as work takes on sacred dimensions in Scripture. There's more to it than you don't work, you don't eat. But what exactly is the work to which we've been called? We find it back in the previous letter, the first Thessalonians. First chapter, third verse. Paul introduces the theme of work to this community from the beginning. What kind of work? The work of faith. Listen to his intro. We always give thanks to God for all of you and mention you in our prayers, constantly remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So if it's the work of faith to which Paul refers, then we find here a richer meaning of the passage. Paul isn't necessarily talking to day laborers in hard hats. He is talking to people who think Jesus is coming back so soon that they don't have to wash any dishes. But rather than a proverb for getting people off the couch and into a job, what if his meaning is closer to another one of Paul's concerns when he asks in another letter, how will they hear without a preacher? Simply put, if we don't do the work of faith, it won't be long before there's no one left to take communion with. You don't work, you don't eat together. The work of faith is what Whatever sets the table for communion. The work of faith is the work of sharing the gospel. How do we share the gospel? Well, there are many ways. But the primary ways that Paul tells the Thessalonians to imitate, are to imitate Jesus, to love one another, and to become an example to the world of what the reign of God looks like. And Paul praises this community for doing just these things. But there's an extra layer of challenge for this church. The ongoing task of doing the work of faith in a society that's not easily persuaded. 
Add to this the multiple social pressures, economic pressures, political pressures. There's hardly a facet of civilized existence in Thessalonia that isn't ripe for friction or division. The church there is trying to do church in a supremely challenging context where everyone around them has lived and continues to live quite well without or even in spite of their strange ways and beliefs about God, a God who raises the dead and promises to make all things new. Today, I feel an affinity for our sisters and brothers across time. There are some churches that the New Testament authors do give a hard time. Corinth would not want to be on the receiving end of Paul's letter to the Corinthians, at least in parts. Sardis, Laodicea, Thessalonica isn't one of these. I don't believe ours would be either. First Baptist Church of Asheville does the work of the gospel in season and out of season. And I believe that this is something worth celebrating, lifting up, noticing. Allow me to put this in perspective if I can. Over the past several years, our church has tackled some of the most complex questions of our time while also asking God to guide us in new ways. We have taken up this work of faith in one of the most divisive political times in our nation's history, certainly in my lifetime. We have taken up this work in the downtown of a city where people's estimation of Baptists can often be scoffing or at worst or suspicious at best. We have taken up this work when the church across the country and even across the world has become known more for its divisions and horrendous scandals and secular political affiliations than its unique good news. We have taken up this work of faith in a time that continues to see people exit the church with no alternative. They're not changing churches. They're not changing faiths. They're simply giving up and becoming nuns. I believe it's because the churches around them have not inspired them to hope against hope. And in Asheville's case, I believe it's because they just haven't heard about churches like us. There's a parable in Matthew, well known to most of us, the parable of the sheep and the goats, where Jesus calls everyone to come and inherit the kingdom of God. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. It becomes clear by the end of the parable that this is how we come face to face with Jesus. By coming face to face with people with just these specific needs, we come face to face with the living God. This describes so much of our church. Last week, 180 folks ate lunch in our gym for free, as they do every Thursday, and also had doors open to them for clothing and non-perishable food, a mail station, and popcorn and a movie. 
Did you know about that part? We have been doing just these kinds of things for decades. We've inspired new ministries in our community for doing just this kind of work. It just kind of spins out from us. Through our personal, thoughtful, energetic, loving, and at times dangerous attention to the hungry, naked, poor, sick, and imprisoned, we are part, a significant part, of the core mercy infrastructure of our city. That's the kind of church I believe people hope for and wish existed. And that's our church. Many people don't even know this about us. And that's a story we must tell as to our work of faith that we've been given to do. In recent church years, really before my time here, God has moved this church to stay downtown. And many other churches moved out of town, you stayed. And open your doors wide to the city. Thousands of people come through the doors of just this building and surrounding buildings every week. If the carpet looks worn to you in some places, or if the handle on the bathroom sink is a little wobbly at times, it's not because people don't care about the place. It's because we care about so many people. You'd be hard-pressed to come to this campus just about any time and not find something interesting going on, people's lives being changed. Even late on Saturday night, I wonder how many of you knew this. I didn't even know this for months after I came to be pastor. Even late on Saturday night, there's a support group of about 80 people that meets in Eisenhower Hall. Over a do- I, I first encountered them when they were coming out. It was like 10 p.m. on Saturday night, and they were all on the side of the church in the parking lot, and I thought, what on earth? This reminds me of Bojangles in high school. <laughs> on Dabney Drive, that was the strip. Everybody came and hang out, hung out there. I didn't know it was here. Uh, But over a dozen support groups meet here every week at little or no cost. When you think about overhead and giving to a church and and there's some resistance there, oh, I don't want to give to overhead and and light bills and all that. Well, the light bill shines on people whose lives are being changed all across the week, even hours and odd hours. And sometimes these friends come and visit us on Sunday morning too, and I hope more of them will. But it seems to me a lot of people don't know this about our church. They assume, they assume because it's church and because it's a Baptist church that we are pious or judgmental or out of touch. They simply don't know. And sometimes when I have conversations with people who think this about church or our church, I say, did you know about this? Did you know about that? And then very nicely at the end of the conversation, I lean in and say in a very Christian spirit, don't be so judgmental. The work of faith is to tell the story. We care about our city. We love not just our people, but people across the region and around the world. How will people know if we don't tell them? If we don't work, where will the communion be? 
Right now we have a team building houses in Puerto Rico while another team is preparing to go to Cuba in January and yet another team is working with our own Jenny Jenkins, a missionary in Haiti, to build a medical and dental clinic in a remote, underserved and difficult to reach area. People across Asheville may have no idea we're up to this. Not only that we're doing this good work, but that they can come and join up with us and be part of this and do good work with us. It's a story we've got to tell. We have some good news about our generosity campaign I want to share with you. Good news and bad news, but the good news first. The generosity team set a goal of 150,000 new dollars to be given this year to support the ministries and missions of our church. And we stand currently right at 150,000 new dollars in giving. After the year we've had, we meet this extraordinary goal. Good job. I lift you up, church at Thessalonica, and say thank you and well done. There's some harder news too, though, because we lost so much by taking risks and being faithful that that's not going to cover the whole gap. And so what we've been at work at doing across this fall is figuring out how to cut things. And one of the ways that works is when our community partners come to us, they ask us for a certain amount, say Pisca Legal or ABCCM or Cooperative Baptist Fellowship. They ask us for a certain amount and we see if we can do that and we measure everything out. And these are our partners in the community. They're doing good work too and they depend on us to help them do that. And we've been We've been turning a lot of those black categories red just to make ends meet. Our staff is working with a shoestring budget and we're doing really good, really efficient work, but we are walking a tightrope. And I'm not sure everybody is aware of that. So there is this kind of liminal space we're walking through of good news and challenging news. And I simply want to make that clear to everyone. I'm proud of what we've done. I'm excited about what we can do. Nevertheless, I must confess that the most frustrating part of my job here has probably not been what most of you might think. One of the most frustrating parts of my job is seeing just how unique and energetic and faithful and hardworking and boundary-breaking and gospel-preaching and gospel-living this church is and not being able to personally go into every living room and sit at every dining table in this city and say to people face-to-face, -face, yes, I know, I know, church is this and church is that, but have you heard about this church? For all the reasons you've given up on church and given up on Christians, my wager is your arguments would run aground at Five Oak Street in Asheville. What's to prevent you from coming and seeing for yourself? This is our story. This is our song. This is the good work of faith we've been giving to tell our friends and neighbors and even our enemies if we've got any left. Have you had it with empty platitudes and lackluster worship and hypocritical faith and angry preaching and divisive ideologies? Well, so have we. 
and come and see what you've been missing. Before I get ahead of myself, I have to ask whether even all of us here who gather each week are even aware of the good news rising and yet to rise on this sacred ground. You'll be invited after worship to learn more about these innovations, but they are represented by the images to my right and left. To my immediate right, a young person is eagerly coming in to AFTA, to school, to a music lesson. Usually, when you get a closer look at this young man who's coming through the doors, this is what I used to look like leaving school. Uh, He's excited to come to school. AFTA is celebrating its fifth year, but many people still don't know They don't know it exists. They don't know we have nearly 250 students coming across the week to learn from three dozen faculty teaching a myriad of instruments and that this devotion to the arts is changing people's lives. It has changed mine too. I had given up on making music. I'm making music again. It's it's changing my brain. It's changing my life. Did you know that you don't have to be a kid? Adults can do it too. Have you always dreamed of being able to play the piano or the cello or the banjo? You can do that here. Go tell the story. To my left, there's an image of people walking the labyrinth. This image signifies the center for faith and life. A dream begun years ago under Guy Sales' leadership, but which has gained new energy from our vision Imagine, in years to come, being able to come to this campus and take classes from professors and church leaders on faith, discipleship, scripture, preaching, pastoral care, race relations, world religions, evangelism, reconciliation, and being able to take these classes much like you would in a community college, at low or no cost, without having to apply to graduate school. Imagine an annual lecture series, collaborations with AFTA and other artists and scholars, and even visiting scholars and residents living on our campus and teaching us. Imagine our church helping bridge the gap between the academy, which can seem for so many to be far away and even intimidating, and bringing it back under the fold of the church where it began and whom it still answers to and where it ultimately belongs. Who is doing this? We are. Tell the story. Invite people to come and have their lives changed by a living God. As well, second to my left is an image of the Via Caris graphic designed by our own Ken McCleskey. This image symbolizes our dedication to faith formation that is spiritual infrastructure of our church. This is our guide in preparation for baptism for children, youth, and adults as well as a help for the daily living of our faith. We call it a rule of life, but I've started calling it a little bit more something like a rhythm of life, an invitation to daily attention to our vocation, our prayers, eating together, worshiping together, and caring for each other in creation. One of the the most exciting ways I see this being played out is people going and just eating together after church. In the group, 
you go out to eat after church and be together. Who is doing this? Who makes something like this? We do. Tell the story. Invite people to come here and have their lives changed by a living God. To my far left is a picture of our own members, Daniel Green and Cameron Brown, who will be among the first students of the First Shine Learning Center, a day school with adults with special needs. Our church has long had a deep care for these friends throughout our city. Now the annual camp has given rise to something more substantial and enduring across the year. Now families who struggle to find care for one another with these challenges will have a new opportunity where their loved ones can continue to learn and grow and make long-lasting friendships. In addition to the Child Development Center, the First Kids Preschool, the Academy for the Arts, and the Center for Faith and Life, this will be the fifth school we are running out of these sacred buildings. Who does this? We do. Tell the story. Invite people to come and see. A couple of years ago, our friend and church consultant slash missionary Tim Shapiro helped us start dreaming some of these divine dreams for the future of our church. One of the questions he asked us and which has stayed with me is this question. Is there a fantastic dream evident? And that is what brings me to the fifth and final image, second to my right. This is one of the earliest photographs of our almost 100-year-old sanctuary and surrounding buildings. You may not be able to tell from where you're sitting, but when you do have a closer look after worship, I invite you to notice the striking difference between then and now. I'm indebted to Debbie Miller for pointing this out to me and many others of us. It's surrounded by houses. It's in a neighborhood. Our church was built in the midst of a local neighborhood. My question is, what if the fantastic dream now becoming evident is the opportunity we have to invite the neighborhood back? And not only to our church, but to something like a new sacred city rising across this block in this corner of downtown Asheville. One of the things we've been doing across this dreaming season is thinking of personas, imagining a particular person, whether real or imagined, that we would, we would think about or consider being attracted to our community or that we would like to invite to come to church with. So I want to imagine a person who may exist one day for us, with us. Her name's Elizabeth. She just graduated with her master's in teaching. She just got a job in Asheville. She just looked up on Zillow the median home price. $320K. And she was crestfallen. 
wondering how she was going to afford to live here. What if one day she saw this plot of ground as an opportunity for hope? A place where housing is affordable. A place where she could have childcare with her family, access to health care, convenient access to groceries, a YMCA on the same block, a nonprofit bank, maybe a cafe, green space, proximity to work, and all of those things that enable human flourishing surrounding a worshiping, believing group of faithful Christians, a church a faithful, dreaming church as the animating center of this sacred city rising in Asheville's midst. And she saw this sacred city and had hope for a new life and a new place to grow and to teach and to raise a family in the old neighborhood. Is that a fantastic dream or what? Sisters and brothers, it's not too fantastic a dream that we can continue to grow as a demonstration plot of the kingdom of God in Asheville, North Carolina in ways that defy explanation and that defy the excuses of anyone who has given up on church. That this plot of ground can relieve some of the most serious challenges facing our city, our country, and our world and give hope to people near and far, and serve as a glimpse and a foretaste of the kingdom of God. In Revelation 21, we see a, something like a new city, Jerusalem, coming out of heaven, being fused with what's here on earth, and something new out of that is created. When God draws the curtain on history and that new city comes down, how much of it do you think will already match up? Because we had the courage to dream with God about what it would look like for a sacred city to rise here. Tell a story of what's happening, what's happened, and what might happen. This is the work of faith we've been given. You know, I remember when I was invited to come here, it was before you voted on me. If you weren't here at the time, that's what the church does. They, they vote on the new pastor. I remember, and this is before you really got to know me, uh, it was unanimous. Things can change. <laughs> uh, it was unanimous. One of the other things that I thought about that time was, um, gosh, I wonder why they don't want a trial sermon. So don't, it's not the habit of this church to have a trial sermon. And then I came away thinking, oh, they just want to have a trial. <laughs> just. And you invited me to sit right here, and I had my little new suit on, and I was wearing this tie. And it was a free-for-all. I mean, you could ask any question you wanted. 
Some of you lobbed some softballs at me, and, and a few folks threw some knuckleballs. I answered all of them best I could. I made you a promise that I wasn't going to force my own dreams on you, that we were going to do this together. My ministerial colleagues and I have been doing just that. And together with you, we are dreaming new, important, life-saving dreams for one another, for our city. Sisters and brothers, the old things have passed away. Behold, everything has become new. Don't you see it? And tell it. Tell somebody the good news.